Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Man, it's great to have Brother Aaron back with us this morning and the choir back with us. Doesn't that choir sound good? Amen. Praise the Lord. We're in the book of 1 Kings. We started Wednesday night. We're through with Exodus. And so we've moved over to 1 Kings chapter 8 this morning. 1 Kings chapter 8. And I'll not read all of that chapter because there's about 66 verses in there. And I want to get you out of here uh, before, uh, well, before. Uh, we'll have a good time. I want to begin reading in verse 56. Verse 56. Would you stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. The Bible says, 1 Kings 8, 56, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel, according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us, that he may incline our hearts unto him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments which he commanded our fathers. Let these words wherewith I've made supplication before the Lord be nigh unto the Lord our God day and night, that he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel at all times as the matter shall require. And here's the whole crux of the matter right here, that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. Father, thank you this morning for the joy to be in this place. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that your spirit would continue to just fall fresh on this place today. We're, we're, we want to see you. We want to hear you. We want to sense what your will is for us today. And Lord, in this quietness of this moment right now, God, we want to remember uh, those that are in Hurricane Ida's path right now. Lord, in the next 45 minutes as it comes ashore, would you grant mercy, dear God? Would you just uh, lessen it? And Lord, would you protect those uh, that are in paths of harm? And Lord, we would be so grateful and so thankful for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. David uh, has been God's man. He's having a heart. He's had a heart after God. He's been God's king. He's been the lovely servant. And as you read in the Psalms, you not only find that uh, uh, God loves David, there's no doubt about that, but you'll also find that David loves God. In Psalm 116, it's like David just explodes and he says, I love the Lord my God. I love. It's so refreshing to find people who will say, I love God and not be fake about it, not be uh, uh, phony about it, but really honest. There are a lot of folks saying, I love God. But to find one that says, I love God and know that he loves God with all of his heart. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we won't turn there, he's coming, David is coming to the end of his ministry. And uh, he is, just summing it up, David is saying this, Lord, I don't feel right because I'm living in a cedar house. I'm living in a palace. Everything is great. And God, you don't even have a house. And I don't feel right about it. And I, I want to build you a house. 
And uh, Nathan, the prophet, is there, and Nathan says, well, do it. Man, just do it. I mean, if God laid it on your heart, do it. Well, as Nathan the prophet left, God got a hold of Nathan and said, you go back and tell David that, uh, David, uh, I understand your heart. I understand you want to build me a house. I understand what your, your emotions are. I understand all that. But, David, you've been a man of war, and you're not the one that's going to build my house. But coming through your loins will be a son of yours that will build my house. And so Solomon comes on the scene, and uh, uh, he's going to come after uh, David, and he finishes the house of God here in 1 Kings chapter 8. God has kept every promise that he made. This was a great temple. I mean, my soul have mercy, the gold and the silver and the wood and the beautification of it. It was a beautiful temple. But listen, if God's not in the place, it's just another house. If God's not there. So if you look over at chapter 8, verse 10, you'll find it came to pass when the priests come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. Now, David had a tabernacle that every time he had to move, he had to take down the Holy of Holies and move the ark and everything and move it to the new location. Then they had to set it all up again. And then when they moved, they had to take it down and they moved it to the new location. They had to set it all up again. But this temple is a permanent dwelling place of God. When the Shekinah glory fell on this temple, it's like God is saying, hey, I own this place. This is where I'm going to be. This is where my glory is going to be. This is, it's not temporary. Every sacrifice, every offering, every blessing, the glory of God will be in this place. And so 1 Kings 8 is Solomon's reaction to God showing up. Solomon is literally saying, God, here's my heart. Here's my heart. I want to know you, but that's not enough. Listen, if you've been saved this morning, you know Jesus. I want to tell you, that's not enough. That's not enough. If you're here this morning, you've never been saved. You've never trusted Christ. That's step one, to come to Jesus Christ, to repent of your sin, and to invite him to take over your life. That's your step one. But now listen to me. It's not only to be known, uh, to, 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 to know Jesus, but it's that others may be known. It's that you get out of this building and you tell others about Jesus Christ. There's a dying, hurting, crippled world here that they need to know. They think they need a little bit more sex education. They think they need a little more modern science. They think they need a little bit bigger house. I want to tell you, all that's wrong. What they need is the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not only enough to know Jesus, but we want to make the world known about Jesus Christ. Y'all are going to have to excuse me. I'm not sure why I can't talk other than the Lord trying to shut me up. I didn't take my medicine this morning. I thought it was a medicine, but that's not it undoubtedly. So anyway, I, when you come here to chapter 8, uh, there ought to be a drawing in us that says, hey, we want to make the Lord known. We, we, want, we don't only want to know Him. We want to know that every person on the face of this earth knows that there is one God and there's no God like Jehovah. There's no one who can supersede him. Now listen, Acts chapter 2, the same thing happens again. The Shekinah glory comes down in 1 Kings 8, but in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit of God comes down, and that is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel chapter 2. 
Now listen, <clears throat> some of you are going to like this and some of you are not going to like this. And you can, you know, it's not worth fighting over. But I just want to tell you right now, I, I'm not charismatic. I'm not Pentecostal. I hadn't caught the Holy Ghost. I'm not faking I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't speak in tongue, but I'm going to shout with the tongue that I do have. I've not ever been slain in the Spirit, but there's one who's been slain on Calvary for my sin. And I want to tell you, according to Matthew chapter 16, he said, I will build my church upon this rock. There wasn't any king built it. There wasn't any governor built it. There wasn't any preacher built it. There wasn't any prophet that built it. Jesus built it with his own hands. And upon this church, he has landed you and I in the middle of a New Testament church today. The oh, Shekinah glory, all in us. We're the, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wow. When God came down in Acts chapter 2, it testified of his ownership. He owns us. His spirit fills us. When you say that you're a member of Woodland Hills Baptist Church, listen, you're not talking about being a top executive in Walmart. You're not talking about being in Eastman. You're not talking about being in Xerox. When you say you're a member of Woodland Hills Baptist Church, you're saying that despite your wickedness, despite your sin, despite your separation from God, he reached down and saved me and redeemed me and put my feet on a solid rock. That's what you're saying. Do you understand this morning that you could have awakened this morning and you bowing down to Buddha? You could have awakened this morning and been chanting to Muhammad, but God in his sovereignty has put you where you are? I will tell you, God saved my soul and put me in the local New Testament church that I might know him and that I might make him known. Does the glory of God draw you to him? Does it connect you? Boy, wasn't that a good message. Does it connect you to him? Now, let me give you five things here real quickly. Number one is this. You see the uniqueness of the sovereign God. If you go back to verse 23, he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee mm. in heaven above or in earth beneath who keepest covenant and mercy with thy servants that walk before thee with all thy heart. There is no God like Jehovah. You can't come near the glory of God. Muhammad can't, Buddha can't, Shintoism can't, Emotionalism can't, Humanism can't, Relativism can't, Atheism can't, Evolution can't. Nothing can supersede our God. Boy, that ought to set us on fire. I tell you, the God that created the heavens and the earth, the God that put the sun and stars and moon all in space, spoke and there was light, breathed into man and there was life. There's none like him. I want to know him. I want to know him. But I don't want to just know him. I want to make him known too. Now here's the deal. <clears throat> I'm not being uh, facetious when I say this. But if you've ever dealt with big shots, now God's not a big shot. He's bigger than any big shot. Amen? But if you've ever dealt with big shots, you know they don't deal with little people. Hmm? I mean, if you got a president, if you got a letter from the president of the United States and you think he wrote that letter, you, you know, you're not right. <laughs> Somebody else wrote that letter. 
I mean, big shots don't deal with peons. And yet, the holiest of God made a covenant with us. Hmm. I mean, no God like him. And he made a covenant with us. You'll never figure it out. I, I, I hear people say, well, you'll never impress God, so I'm just not going to try. I know I'm never going to impress God. But I want to tell you, I want to do everything I can to do everything I can to serve God until the last day I breathe. I know, you know, if God would have just made a proclamation and said, all right, I'm going to forgive all sin. There's no more sin. Bang, period. It's over. Then I would say we could probably live any way you want to live. But he didn't do that. He required a blood sacrifice. And you're going to tell me that because of the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary so you could have eternal life, and then you're going to be flippant about serving him? Mm. God is uniquely sovereign. And then, then I see here, there's a plea from Solomon. In our day, it would be, some of you need to make a commitment to come to church more. Huh? Because see, when you come to church, God shows up, and when God shows up, he'll hear your request. Some of you this morning need to make a commitment that you're going to read the Word of God more. I mean, you throw that book down if you even got it out. See, when you read the Word of God, God draws near. And when God draws near, He'll answer your request. Some of you need to make a commitment, I'm going to pray. I'm actually going to have a prayer life. Because when you pray, God draws near. And when God draws near, He'll answer your request. He talks about the promises uh, in, in verse 26. He said, How, now, O God of Israel, let thy word, I pray thee, be verified, which thou spakest unto thy servant David, thy father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I build it. What he's saying here is, I, I understand, uh, in the paraphrase here, I understand Elijah uh, brought fire down from heaven. I understand Noah, Noah built the ark. I understand the widow that had the oil that kept on giving. I understand that Peter preached on Pentecost. I understand that the little boy had a lunch and he fed 5,000. Lord, that's all good, but I want you to do some stuff through me. You say, preacher, that's being arrogant. No, it's not. I want God to do some stuff through me so that I can glorify and praise him and let people all over the world know he's the one who did it. I only don't want to just know him. I want to make him known. And this is an awesome God we serve. And then he talks about the prayers. He's answered my prayers. He's got a burden. He's got a burden. Uh, uh, verse 57. Our Lord God be with us as he was with our fathers. And listen, here's his burden. Let him not leave us nor forsake us. There's no one going to doubt that the hand of God has been a tremendous blessing in this place. But, oh, listen, we ought to have a burden that we never want that hand to leave this place. Because the same God who puts his hand on the blessings can take his hand off the blessings. 
And if you don't believe that, I can take you to church after church after church after church that one day was on fire, vibrant for the glory of God, and now it's like Ichabod over the door. God, don't leave us. He's praying. And, and then he's saying, keep your eyes open, God, in verses 31 through 32, because the world doesn't do right. There's wickedness in this world. And he said, would you handle the wicked people, and would you be with the righteousness? And then he says, pardon us, Lord. Because uh, we're excited here on this day. The Shekinah glory is full. I mean, it's a hallelujah Sunday. Everybody's thrilling. They're praising the Lord. Everything's great. But they all realize that they're not going to live without sin. And they're saying, Lord, pardon us because our hearts are right. You know, psychiatrists tell us today that they can tell by the way somebody looks, Rocky, if you're lying or not. One eyelid goes up above the other or... You know, one ear twitches, uh, you're lying and all of that. God don't need to look at your face. God knows your heart. He's saying, Lord, our hearts are going to serve you. Our hearts are right. And, uh, and then he closes in verses 46 through 49 by simply saying this, as opposed to the New Testament, we need to put on the whole armor of God every day. Now listen to me. The armor will not do you any good. I don't care how you keep it shined up. Some of y'all got your armor so shined up and polished. You've got that wax on it, and it looks so nice and everything. But it won't do you no good if you leave it in the garage. you got to put it on. And I want to tell you something. As your pastor, if you've ever, ever needed to wear armor, it's the day we live in today. Because I want to tell you, I... Man, I see people, we were at the airport the other week, and man, we were just in awe. The nuts of people, they're crazy. I mean, rudeness, profanity, and just cursing, and, you know, using all kinds of words. Mm. Put on the armor of God. What he's saying here is this. God, I want your will to cause my will to become your will. I, it doesn't matter what I want. I want your will to cause my will. Now let me tell you, if the Holy Spirit's not indwelt in you and he's not leading you, you ain't not going to follow God. You're not going to do anything for God. You're just blowing smoke. But when the Holy Spirit fills you and you want his will to cause your will to be his will, He'll walk with you. Then, then there's a shout out to the saints here in verse 55. He blesses. He stood and blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice saying. How did he bless the congregation of Israel? I'm glad you asked because it's in the next verse. Blessed be the Lord. You bless the congregation when you bless the Lord. He said, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel, according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses his servant. Wow. It's a blessing of praise. He's saying, We need your presence, Lord. We need your power, Lord. We need you to draw us to you and help me to serve you. And then there's a good word here for sinners. Any of y'all sinners this morning? <laughs> Actually, this is for lost. 
in verses 42 and 43, he talks about uh, th that I want to know your name. Hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place. Do according to all that the stranger calleth thee for, that all people of the earth may know thy name. And here's the deal. I want the people of the earth, those who are lost, those who we're trying to win to Christ, to know the name of the Lord, to fear thee, as do the people of Israel, and to know that they may know that this house which I have builded is called by thy name. Hmm. I want to know him so that others may know him. I want to reach out. I, I want God to be good to us so that we can turn around and glorify God and let folks know, hey, it's not us. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. It's the Lord who's blessing. It's God who's giving the gifts. I want everyone in the world, and that's what he's saying here. And that ought to be our prayer. Let me close with this. After the prayer, after the blessing, after the ark is here, after God's glory comes down, after they say we want everybody to know, you know what they do? They had a good time. They delighted in the Lord. You know how they delighted in the Lord? Now, this is going to blow your mind. They took up an offering. Yeah. I, I, you know, this just rocked my whole theology. I, I, I've heard all my life, we need to give till it hurts, give till it hurts. Well, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. It don't hurt. Hey, when's the last time you gave a sacrificial gift to God and then said, honey, let's go out and celebrate because we were able to give a sacrificial gift to God? Most time we give a sacrificial gift to God, and you've done a great job in doing that. But, oh, he's going to come with an offering. Here he comes. going to be another offering. I don't know what we're going to do. No. <laughs> Oh, I don't have, oh, I wish I had another hour. Look, verse six, 63, Solomon offered a sacrifice. He offered unto the Lord 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. Woo, you talk about an offering. He said, boys, go get my checkbook. Because if this is the place where God's going to live, if this is the place where the glory of God is going to be, if this is a place where our sins can be wiped away, and I want to make sure that I'm part of it. Wow. Let me ask you something. Do you love what you're doing for the Lord? Now, some of you are saying, well, I'm not doing nothing. You ought to be ashamed. Do you love what you're doing for the Lord? We've had a blessed time this week in the day school our whole staff has been over there because we've had some out for different COVID and different quarantines and different ones and different things brother Case his shirt wasn't starched when he came out of that four year old room the other day <laughs> brother John Paul and brother Nathan and Jason brother Aaron all these guys screaming kids my soul I never heard such screams in all my life do you love it when you're taking care of children <laughs> I mean is that a love for you 
We're getting ready to start a bus ministry here the second week of September, and it's going to move to Monday night. And listen, not everybody's cut out for this. I know that. You're not. But God has blessed us with some workers that love those children. And, and they, want to, they want to see them saved. They want to see them, hey, we, we may not can help a lot of their homes and their home life and their economic things, but I want to tell you something. When an eight-year-old gives his heart to Jesus Christ and he's saved by the blood of the Lamb, he's saved until the day of redemption. He's sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. We may not can do a lot of things for him, but we can feed him physically and spiritually. You like what you're doing? When you sing, do you really enjoy singing? Or has it become another ritualistic routine? Bus routes, working with children, working with youth. Patrick Morley, in his book, uh, Man in the Mirror, tells about a group of fishermen that went to Alaska. There were four guys and a 12-year-old son of one of the men, or three guys and a 12-year-old son of one of the men. And they landed in uh, Alaska for salmon fishing. And they, boy, they had a great day. They caught a lot of salmon. They caught their limit. It was good. But when they got back to the plane to leave, the tide had gone out. And the pontoon boat was just sitting on the ground. So they couldn't do anything except spend the night and then try to leave the next morning when the tide came in. Tide came in. They all got on the plane. They took off. They didn't know it, but one of the pontoons had a hole in it and it filled up with water. So the plane never got off the ground, maybe 12 foot. Went out and hit the sea. Cold, raging water. Riptide was just super bad. They all started swimming towards shore. Two of the men made it with no problem. They were good swimmers. They were just exhausted and literally worn out. They looked for their companion, and he was out going to sea with his 12-year-old son wrapped around his arms. He'd rather die with him than live without him. Now, kids, you're in here this morning. That may be something you need to understand, but your parents would probably die for you. They love you that much. But not only did parents would they do that, but our Lord did do that. Nobody forced him to. He could have called 10,000 angels any day he'd have wanted to. He could have stopped it any time he'd have wanted to. But he didn't. That's why I can say, I, I, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, I, I, I beg of you, I don't want to just know Jesus. I want you to know him also. I want your family to know him. And I want your neighbors to know him. And I want to pastor a church that wants people to know Jesus. That is busy bringing people into Jesus. That's what it's all about. Life is not a dress rehearsal. When the trumpet sounds, everything we could do for the Lord is over with. We're going to be caught up to meet him. And no matter how good people are, I hear it all the time, preacher, they're good people. Hell is full of good people. 
I've told you over and over again, heaven, hell is not full of people that God rejected. Hell is full of people that rejected God. And we've got to do everything within our power to not only draw close to him and know him, but that others may know him also. Father, this morning, we ask you to come down in this place. Save those this morning who are lost, who don't know you as their personal Savior. God, I pray for husbands and wives and young people and children. God, I pray right now your spirit would touch lives. I pray this morning for those that may need a church home that in these last days would say, I, I want to be in a church that believes the Word of God and preaches the Word of God, that reaches out to lost sinners, that throws out the lifeline of hope to a lost and dying world. God, may, if that's your will, may they come today. And then, Lord, I pray, God, that you would move and these altars would be filled today. God, help us to get serious about praying and lifting up our burdens to you, lifting up the names of lost people to you. God, have your way in our hearts and will. Help us not to be able to sleep at night until we've done everything we can to lead people to Jesus Christ. You move during this invitation. We'll praise your holy name in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?